Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, messages and previews, April 2022, with your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor, where we will soon be resuming our task of reviewing all the Queen of Prince consorts of England, from Elswith to Prince Philip. Uh, I am currently doing, in fact just started today, the research for the next batch of consorts, so that will entail uh, Elizabeth Woodville, Anne Neville and Elizabeth of York. Nice. Uh, before that, as is now a habit, we're putting out uh, this episode to go through some of your fantastic messages, plus we'll be sharing a few previews of some of our Privy Council bonus content. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram, where we are at RexFactorPod. Like the RexFactorPodcast Facebook page and email us at RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. Uh, and we are a free council, but if you would like to hear more of us, and you could sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash RexFactor, donate monthly, join the Privy Council, and you get uh, lots of bonus content, which we will... Uh, be doing some previews of I do. later in the show. Mm. I'm a member. I can heartily recommend it. Uh, it's an unbiased, genuine purchase here. Anyway, let's hear what you've been saying. Messages! Uh, first up, some uh, general messages. Um, Naz has been in touch with a, a little Rex fact on Pinch Charles. All right. The when good Charles one or the bad one? Uh, the, cu- the, the actual Prince Charles. Oh, right. Okay, well, to, <laughs> translate that question as you will. <laughs> uh, she says, when Charles becomes king, he will be the first British monarch who will be a direct descendant of Catherine the Great. The Russian lady? The Russian lady. Yeah. Well, she wasn't Russian, but Empress of Russia. Was she not? No, she's like, oh, we'll see if we ever do the Russians, we'll learn about this. She was, she was actually, appropriately for us, she was actually the consort of the Russian emperor. Yeah. And then but then she got the gig. makes herself empress, yeah. Yeah. But where was she from? Ah, uh, Germany, I think. Really? Yeah. Gosh. All the times they've had a crack at the Russians and she did it first time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Naz's uh, Rex Fact has been superseded by uh, the new Rex Fact that Catherine <laughs> the Great was a Russian. <laughs> yeah. But you know how I feel about... Um, Genealogy. Genealogy. <laughs> um, Equally, yeah. though, I suppose, if you think about it a different way, like your sort of shrugging of uh, links to royalty is usually like, you know, they're all they're all related to each other, it's all... And yet, here's an incredibly powerful Russian empress from a time in which the royal families really were just all part of one big interbreeding project. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yet, it's not until Charles that we will actually have a British monarch who is descended from Catherine the Great. Because of Prince Philip. Did he have something to do with her? Well, I mean, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> well, see where we it's get not that direct. <laughs> yeah. A Pete-style uh, moment. Turns out Catherine is his mother. <laughs> it's a bit like how William will be the first one to set actually descended from Charles II. Because Charles never had any legitimate children, but he had a lot of illegitimate children. What? <laughs> Charles II. Yeah. Didn't have any legitimate children. Yeah. But he had lots of illegitimate children. Yeah. So via the Spencer line, i.e. Diana, yeah. Prince William will be the first monarch descended from Charles II. 
directly. Well, why is that interesting? Why, I mean, that is interesting, but why do I find that interesting? <laughs> oh, you're a man of contradictions. <laughs> Ali, for the first, here is Monarch A, who will be the first to be descended from Monarch B. <laughs> I don't know why I'd find that interesting. Well, Monarch C will be the first descended from Monarch D. No way! <laughs> This, ladies and gentlemen, is why it's terrifically uh, it's terrifically important to have blind trials. <laughs> Otherwise, you have numpties like me. God, I could be on a jury. Yeah. <laughs> or you could be somebody that gets you know brought into a focus group. Yeah, think, right. This is what people think. Yeah, I don't know. We had him here last week, and he said the complete opposite. <laughs> yes, but he's. He's skewing towards the right demographic, but he's this you're the perfect outlier at all times. <laughs> uh, so, moving away from uh, genealogy, although perhaps, you know, in the future, uh, Toby Morris is a Rex Factor listener who's got married. Congratulations. Uh, and the best man's speech was on a Rexy theme, as Toby relates. In what I think might be a Rex Factor first, my brother stroke best man used his speech at our wedding to score me on my battliness, scandal, subjectivity, dynasty and longevity, knowing what a massive fan of the podcast I am. Wow. That is a Rex Factor first. But I did initially hear that as the best man stroked his brother so that he could scar him. <laughs> so this is a funny type of wedding, yeah? Indeed. Uh, by the end of the speech, my wife, best man, and the guests has luckily decided I did have that certain something and therefore <laughs> would make a suitable husband. <laughs> Brilliant. Did we get his scores? Uh, no, I don't think we've got... I'm not sure if he literally scored him or maybe just went through. I mean, interesting, obviously, scandal is always going to be a risky one. Yeah, what a good That's idea. For a wedding ceremony. Longevity. There's your naughty joke. Uh, dynasty. Hope they have lots of lovely children. Yeah, I can see that working. Thumbs up. <laughs> Rex Factor. Poof, seal of approval. <laughs> uh, in one of our previous episodes, we discussed public opinion and how or if ordinary people knew uh, what was going on, uh, and particularly what was going on at court and whether mm. you know any of these sort of royal shenanigans actually had any impact on mm. people's day-to-day -day lives. Uh, Dr. Ella Leith has been in touch with some interesting oh, yeah. points on this. She says, Hello, lovely Rexaminers. I don't think we should underestimate how important things like ballads were for disseminating news far and wide in a predominantly oral society. There was an interesting interview about this with Jenny Hyde on Susanna Lipscomb's podcast, Not Just the Tudors, recently. Basically, it was about how quickly and easily information and sedition could be spread by recycling popular tunes and adapting memorable lyrics to make them newsworthy. She's also pointed out that a pretty standard greeting for much of history was, What news? Because again, in a, mostly rural, uh, in a mostly oral society, there was the expectation that if you had news, you should share it. There was a sort of social responsibility to pass things on. How well, accurate the news items were by the time they made it through several people is another question, of course. But we could make similar criticisms about the veracity of certain purveyors of news today. That is amazing. Hmm. That's a lot so, to have that uh, sort of civic duty element. And now it's uh, it's funny our relationship to the news because now it's so cheap, you know, mm. it's so everywhere, and immediate. Yeah, I mean, so maybe we'd feel the same if you found, oh my god, they don't have a smartphone. You'd feel inclined to tell them all the memes or something. 
How far we've one. come. Look, 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 and then the cat, it does this, uh, and the sign comes up that says, lol, 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 lol. <laughs> <laughs> he beats I, village idiot, sire. <laughs> I rather thought we'd have been living on the moon by now. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Oh, sad, but it's true. <laughs> ah, but still very interesting, though. Thanks, uh, mm. thanks, Ella. Uh, now, a lovely message from Anton Osborne, which also serves as a reminder of just how long we've been podcasting. Dear Graham and Ali, I began listening to your podcast in 2013 when my daughter Rosa was born. I used to take her out for long walks to give my wife a break and used to listen to your shows whilst out. I always tell others how much I enjoy your show and even had a phone call with Ali back in 2016, I think, when I supported the animated show. Oh, nice. Thank you very much. Yesterday I was catching up listening to Joan of Navarre whilst also cooking dinner and Rosa came and listened too and asked what the show was about. She's already a big history fan. Ali, you'll be pleased to know we've visited many of Edward I's castles in Wales. Good man. And she likes horrible histories too. We've now begun listening to Rex Factor from the beginning together and have just listened to Alfred the Great. She doesn't yet know he's really Alfred the Sufficient yet. I can't wait to get to all the Dunstan episodes and the Edgar the Peaceful controversy all over again. Blooming brilliant. And I tell you what, how how old is she? 13? Well, she's born in 2013. She'll be nine now. We're coming up to nine. Nine. So I'm just thinking about how long it might take them to get through... um, Oh, no, they can do them quicker than it took us to record them. I was going to say, by the time she gets to Victoria, she'll be about 15 and then be able to <laughs> cope with all of the hours of her diary. <laughs> as uh, as you were, twice the age. <laughs> uh, now, a number of people told us that during uh, this series, they've enjoyed listening to, um, as well as the consort, the Monarchs episodes. They've gone back to the first series to listen mm. to the corresponding king uh, with the queen um now for anyone who listens on spotify lauren baker has devised an excellent solution she says i decided to make a spotify playlist called rex factor chronological that puts all the episodes in chronological order to make it easier than skipping up and down between the series for the most part the episode order is based on years reigned for example edward i's reign spanned four different scottish monarchs and although his second consort margaret of france came into the picture only during the last i felt it more appropriate to lump edward ellen and margaret together with robert the bruce coming up afterwards some years especially early scottish or english episodes are a bit hard to decipher especially emma of normandy having been married to two different monarchs um but i'll continue to keep it updated as you progress with the console series brilliant Genuinely, that's how I'd like to listen to it. Yeah, thank you very much, Lauren. That's an excellent idea. Uh, now, a few months ago on uh, Facebook, you posed a challenge for people to provide royal nicknames for us. Did I? You did, yes. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Um, so uh, I thought I'd have picked out a few of these that I thought were quite fun. Uh, so for you, Dale Edwards suggested Ali the Rock Up and Hope for the Best. That's blooming spot on. While uh, Mike Gringas suggested Ali the Absent Minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, a sympathetic companion one for uh, those with me was uh, Jennifer Corr, who suggested Graham the tiny bit exasperated. <laughs> uh, a couple of complimentary ones for me that I liked were uh, Graham the learned uh, from mm-hmm. Sam Langley and Katie Brooks, uh, while Patrick Maguire went for Graham the venerable. Or that the venerable ver- Graham. I can't tell you how much I like that. <laughs> that really works. Whereas uh, Luke Harrison, in reference to your love of airfix, has gone for Ali the Fixer of Air. 
Yeah, Ali the Fix has sort of got some sort of gangster call to it that I honestly can't pull off, but I'd give it a try. <laughs> yeah, I like the fact that it's a really hard-sounding nickname, and then when you poke a little bit further, you realise it's because <laughs> you make model planes <laughs> yeah. in your <laughs> yeah in your cellar. Yeah, Ali the Slayer, because uh, he's um, he like pretends to uh, slay things with his aeroplanes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Matthew Constable said that he wanted to add Sir Sex with the Nun somewhere on the table. Yeah. That's reasonable. Uh, now, finally, a cheeky uh, thing which was on uh, Twitter recently. A, a comic artist, uh, or comic book artist, recently published a tweet which numerous people have uh, independently forwarded to me on uh, Twitter mm. um, in reference to you, or with you in mind. Tweet was, Dream job. The host on the podcast who is there to react to the other host who actually did research. <laughs> How does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's an easy life that I get. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. Tell me about it. Uh, now, we're happy to receive messages about uh, old uh, episodes. So however many years ago it was that we actually recorded it, uh, we know that people listen at different times and different orders, so we're always very happy to get them whenever you've been listening. Uh, and so I thought a few things referencing our very first series on the English Monarchs. And of course, you are always keen to hear about the Fun Sponge. The oh, here it goes. Right. I'm going to try um, embracing him now. You're going to embrace Dunstan? Yeah. Come on, Dunstan. Well, what have you got? Well, this first one is from Mike Hodder. Uh, Mike says uh, that he spent the last few months re-listening to the podcast with the kids on the school run. My daughter goes to St Dunstan School in Birmingham. She impressed her teachers with her Dunstan knowledge, but they were less happy when she described him as a pain in the bum. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, that girl. Uh, And also, Emily Willingham has been doing some sterling work compiling uh, quotes and a sort of uh, wiki record of all our Rex facts. Brilliant. And, uh, sort of key Amazing. comings and goings. She's referencing our second messages and previews podcast from last time when the timing of your dislike of Dunstan and when it began came into question. So she says, I have the answer for this. Here is the timeline. So this is the Ali Dunstan timeline. Right. Dunstan first appeared in Athelstan's episode. So that was episode uh, four. Mm. In the next episode, uh, in the end of the first one, Ali said, everyone seems to like him. What, Dunstan? Yes. Right. In the next episode for Edred, Ali compared Dunstan to Cromwell. Uh, is that positive? Um, Not quite sure, but she says that you had your first grumble about Dunstan in Edgar the, as she put it, robbed and peaceable episode. When I compared him to Cromwell, I see, see he's getting neutral there, mm. right. But you then admitted that Edgar's amazing navy was probably Dunstan's idea. Hmm... <laughs> It was in Edward the Martyr's episode after that that Ali first expressed his frustration with Dunstan's longevity. He also <laughs> said, Edgar is my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> I just sound really tired when he read <laughs> <laughs> that back. And finally, in Ethelred the Unready's episode, Ali compared Dunstan to Rasputin. Yeah, well done, me. <laughs> So there we go. So from Athelstan to Ethelred the Unready, a gradual change from Ali to initially being quite admiring of him, starting to get a bit suspicious, and then finally fed up. And lover of the Russian Queen, and we're full circle. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that means that Prince Charles will be the first monarch directly descended from (laughs) Dunstan. 
now, a couple of messages from people who disagreed with some of our Rex Factor decisions, but not uh, the usual suspects. There's no uh, Edgar the Peaceable yep. uh, mention coming up, other than that one that just came up. <laughs> uh, first up, Daniel Weimering. I have agreed with most of your rankings, except, I think, William Rufus, who I think deserved more consideration for the Rex Factor. I found him to be a tireless ball of fire who emphatically stamped out opposition coming from every conceivable every conceivable direction, ran circles around Robert Curthose and the Scottish Kings, and had a very relatable, almost contemporary personality that inspired some cultural trends and had a magnificent death complete with a murder mystery to cap it all off. By the holy face of Luca, if I could become a monarch, I would choose to be a more heterosexual version of William II. I tell you what, he's got a really good point about that sort of uh, what do you, how do you describe his character? Modern or or contemporary? Yeah, he feels contemporary. Mm, he's definitely onto something there. Yeah, yeah. And we did, and we did enjoy doing Rufus. He's an interesting mm. one. That if we did him again, we would talk about this. Like if we did them again with more research, mm. would we be more impressed when he gets a Rex Factor, or would we get a a less? Would the more researched Rufus be a less sympathetic character? <laughs> I don't, I reckon he's. Well, I mean, this is coming from a place of complete ignorance. <laughs> but he doesn't seem... Of all the early Norman kings, he's a bit of a blind spot. Mm. I don't think he gets enough attention. So um, there's probably not the info out there, I guess, to colour him in anymore, is there? <clears throat> well, he wasn't in, He wasn't around for that long, actually, as king. It's only about 10-ish years. Really? Years I thought it was king. less than that. That's amazing. I thought it was like mm. a, one of those um, couple of months jobs. Oh no 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 no! He does get a, just get a decade. I, yeah, I, 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 I want to know more about him just from talking about <laughs> him. <laughs> Let's do him again because I'm not listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to listen to the first episode. I'm only going to listen if you're actually doing it. If you're there to answer questions, I'll do it. Yeah, so what we basically need to do is just do one of these Zoom chats. I'll play the episode. Oh, and then every now and again, you could just pause it and ask me what I'm talking about. That would be ideal. Absolutely <laughs> ideal. I wonder if I'd ask the same questions. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, anyway, very different time period uh, from Kim Stombaugh. It says, I realise that I am a decade late to the party. My loss. But I'm doing my best to catch up. How could you not give the Rex Factor to George IV, a fun guy frequently compared to Charles II who had way more scandal than you gave him credit for and had a whole era named after him? That star quality, which thanks to the popularity of Netflix's Bridgerton, is coming back into the collective consciousness. But you give it to his forgotten placeholder brother? Shame on you. So hang on, he's the one before Pineapple? Yep, Prince Regent, Hugh Laurie and Blackadder. Regency. Mm. I was going to ask about the era. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure there were some Georges before George IV, but my maths isn't great. Um, uh, yeah, no, I like it. I thought, I, I mean, it sounds like a, I would have given it to him. We didn't give it to him? We didn't, know. Hmm. That's well, I mean, I think because <laughs> we decided that he wasn't a very good king. Rupert which, Everett. You, know, you don't have to be. Yes, Rupert Everett in... Um, uh, What's it called? Mantis King George. I liked him. Hmm. Yeah, I'd do <laughs> him again. Okay. Okay, well, Ali's just recommissioned two episodes. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but yeah, I think, I mean, he was a fun one to do. He was a very entertaining episode, really enjoyed doing him, but I think it was probably just his actual qualities or lack of as king probably was what uh, what held us back. They are interesting him. ones, though, that they've brought up, mm. these restlessness. Yeah, also. entertaining character. Mm. Uh, now, uh, one from our second series on the Scots. <laughs> uh, Will Donovan was almost outraged at our episode on James II. Hi, chaps. Long-time delayed listener on the recommendation of friend of the pod, Dr. Emma Southern. Oh, cool. Uh, new Privy Councillor and outraged of Essex. Hey, good. Ah, yeah, well, I'm with you. What's he angry about? My most recent episode, although this was a while ago, so it was probably some years ago now. My most recent episode was James II of Scotland. Uh, so he's the one who was kind of quite an angry, angry young man uh, and who did get the Rex Factor. Oh, I don't really like angry people. No, <laughs> well, I did. Uh, when I heard uh, he promised a man a nice safe dinner and to stay over only to murder him with his bare hands in front of assembled guests, I rubbed my hands together. This is not only a guaranteed Rex Factor winner, but presumably straight up 20 scandal points. This wasn't a bumping off with a veil of legal approval via execution or paying off some heavies to do the dirty work for him. This was cold-blooded murder by the king's own hand. As I go forward, I expect this to have an Edgar-level outrage of people crying out that not only was he scored well under full marks for scandal, but it took a fair bit of convincing for him even to get the Rex Factor. How... Uh, that does sound absolutely <clears throat> scandalous. Why did he do that? I. Why did he do the killing, or why did we not give him twenty for scandal? Both. Uh, the killing was, um, you know, enemies that he wanted rid of. Was it in a church? No. And <clears throat> I think that? I think the reason we didn't give a twenty, I think we were a bit desensitised to, um, just murder. In the Scot in Scotland by this point, because it does seem to be just almost every episode, people are, the previous king is killed or nobles yeah. are killed. So I think we probably would have been like, yeah, okay, he's killed him, but you know, it's it's not in it the just church. It's not, yeah. yeah, it's just a just a plain old murder. I mean, that's yeah, just it's not hall burning. It's not in a sacred land. I mean, oh. must have been in a funny way, presumably. Did he do it well? <laughs> Tap dancing or something. Um, yeah, I think we were a bit desensitised to all that. Yeah, but yes, in the cold light of day, that does, uh, does read Sounds quite bad. scandalous. Now you say it. Uh, now, some messages from our more recent uh, console series. Uh, Laura French had been fascinated by uh, one of the adjacent figures from the 14th century. Mm. I'm really enjoying the console series. They're fascinating, but I think it's. Uh, but I really think it's missing one of my favourite figures from history, Catherine Swinford. Although never a queen herself, as the third wife of John of Gaunt and mother to several of his illegitimate children, she does in fact end up being directly related to a whole load of future monarchs. Like a 14th century Kardashian, her story has it all. Several marriages, a long-term affair, scandal, a pilgrimage, and subtle games of power and influence. Plus her brother-in-law was Geoffrey Chaucer, for goodness sake. Imagine the limericks Louise B. could make out of that one. Episode we did want to do, uh, we were hoping to do an interview episode about John of Gaunt, but um, didn't get a reply back. And they're storing this time. Oh, really? Damn. So, because uh, he's he's one of the um, who's the other one? Him and the Black Prince. So the, um, the mm. yeah, brothers. Are they? Yeah. Well, who took the, the spotlight? Because I know nothing about those two. Well, neither of them became king. Who did then? Well, the Black Prince died before Edward the Third, so it went to his son, Richard the Second. Oh, yeah. And then John of Gaunt is the father of Richard II's cousin, who 
ousts him as king, Henry the Fourth. Henry the Fourth. Mm. So the both the sons of the king. Well, a bit, a little bit before Henry the Fourth, father of Henry the Fifth, father of Henry. Oh, the okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So they're both oh. sons of Edward the Third, and they're both fathers of kings, but they don't themselves become king. Yeah, I think if I'd have had that explanation, that would have helped in the past. <laughs> I mean, I know you told me that, but the way <laughs> put you put like it, that, put, put like, like that. that, was perfect. Previously, they were just two names that kept popping up, and you didn't know who they were. As now, you know they're two brothers that you don't know who they are. I think it's because they haven't got the same surname. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really? Prince Gaunt. What's yeah? What's Black the connection Prince. here? <laughs> John of Gaunt. Yeah, and their dad is called the third. I, I mean, I don't get it. <laughs> From the same time period, um, Edward III's consort, Philippa of Hainaut, was one that didn't get the Rex Factor, but uh, certainly has had her supporters and uh, got a couple of people who've made the case for her. First up, Christine mm. Krauss Nam, who says, Come on, guys, Philippa should have had the Rex Factor. Managing a fiery Plantagenet husband, 13 pregnancies at least, and raising 11 children, creating the probably first ever happy and accomplished royal family amidst the chaos of constant warfare and the Black Death, Edward's successes are at least partly due to a good wife who had his back. Motherhood is consistently underrated. Mm, good point. Mm. Well, do we cover it in all of the factors? Or where would we normally cover that? Motherhood. Sort of being, yeah, sort of being... Keeping stuff together. Subjectivity, I think, would be our... Okay. Well, that would go. And as long as we capture it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Greg Gassman is uh, in agreement. He says, Graham, Graham. Hi, Ali. You were so <laughs> close and yet so far. Philippa embodied the very concept of medieval queenship more than anyone else in the series so far. And I am sure more than anyone who'll be coming up as we're more than halfway through the medieval period. Her movie wasn't one you wanted to watch, but it was a flawless performance because she was the ideal queen, doing exactly what folks expected of queens. She wasn't supposed to be memorable. She was iconic. She is the one folks think of, even if they can't remember her name. Hi again, Ali. That's a nice way of putting it. She's the, the one in the, in all the pictures. Yeah, medieval woman. Oh, there's a queen. Mm. Uh, and he emphasises his point uh, further, which takes us nicely into the next section, which mm. is uh, going to be your favourite part of the podcast. What's that? Limericks. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so Greg has uh, got a consort limerick for us to uh, continue his case for Philippa of Hainaut. Right. So um, he decided to pick up on some of the, uh, what we call the garden path stories, because Philippa had quite a few things that would have been really cool, but we didn't actually believe were true. Right. Um. One of which was the suggestion that she might have had an affair with a bishop. <laughs> there once was a queen called Philippa, who truly was done up a kipper. Her lover had tattled, but Edward Unrattled believed her instead of his vicar. <laughs> <laughs> I like the... I like vicar jokes, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, vicar in a limerick. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong, can you? Give me a cup of tea oh. and a custard cream and I am... Yeah, told uh, while watching the cricket that I don't even like. <laughs> Love it. Um, and also, of course, we've got one from uh, Louise Brimacombe. Good. Uh, this time for the second consort of Richard II, Isabella of Valois, who uh, refused to marry Henry V after Richard was deposed. Or the future Henry V. Did she? Mm. Never, Never actually did. Never actually did. Her sister did, though, Catherine of Valois. 
Why did we review her? So she was married. To, sorry, I know this is history. Everyone else knows who's listening to this. And it's infuriating. She was married to Richard Henry the Second. Oh, Isabella of France was married to Richard the Second. And then when Richard was kicked off and bumped off, Henry IV, who was the new king, thought, tell you what, I've got a French princess, why don't I marry her to my son? And then all's well, and the French will still like me. And to Henry V? Mm. And she refused? And she refused. But then years later, her younger sister, Catherine of Valois, does marry Henry V. Okay. Got it. Easy. Mm. And here's the limerick. Aged 10 with her first husband dead, Isabella was asked would she wed. The son of the louse who had murdered her spouse, she replied, <laughs> not a chance, Dunderhead. <laughs> Very strong. Very strong. I like that a lot. And probably for the best that I established that little... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, you see, these are they're so powerful because now that, that little seed is in there. It's in there. Yeah. Shout outs. Shout outs. <laughs> uh, now we're going to be plunking our uh, bonus content to Patreon offer soon, but before that, we wanted to give some shout outs to other people first and uh, spread the love. Spread the love. Oh, that's a song, isn't it? Oh, no, that's Where's the Love. Yeah. There probably is one called Spread the Love, but. Mm. Spread the love. <laughs> <laughs> probably goes like that, doesn't it? Uh, we want to give shout-outs uh, first up to a couple of new, or at least new, when uh, I originally thought we should do a shout-out for them, podcast in the Rex Factor style. Mm-hmm. So uh, firstly, there's one which is called Ranking 76, The American West, uh, which is a podcast ranking the sort of essential American West figures. So they've done people like Billy the Kid, uh, Calamity Jane, uh, that sort of, those sorts of figures. Were they real, or did they just pretend? Real. Were they? Calamity Jane. Hmm. Who's the one that's in the Beano? <laughs> I'm not sure. There's one there's one that's definitely in the Beano. Um and also the Spanish R Podder. I I just want to oh, I get it. I just want to um um uh, <sighs> Ali, as we were discussing a little bit uh, both hates and loves puns at the same time. Uh Anyway, the uh, Spanish Arpoda is uh, reviewing all the monarchs, governors, emirs, and caliphs of Spain. Nice. Um, Yeah, that could be uh, an interesting one. Lots of different cultures to deal with there. Indeed. Uh, A couple of not-new podcasts I want to give shout-outs to. One is Chris Hassler's History of the World podcast. Uh, Chris is a long-time Rex Factor listener and Privy Councillor, who very helpfully uh, recently helped in posting a pub quiz winner's, uh, Privy Council pub quiz winner's mug uh, when it was sent to him (laughs) rather than the person who actually won the quiz, uh, which is particularly interesting given that Chris didn't actually partake in the quiz. (laughs) Yes, a little Brucey bonus. So we're not quite sure he got that, but very kindly uh, Mm. Chris uh, sent it on for us. So uh, thanks to Chris and... uh, do, uh, do check out his podcast. Uh, and one which we've done a shout-out to before, but I wanted to do again, is the Flatpak History of Sweden podcast. That was so again, fun. Rex Factor Privy Council is doing a fun history podcast about, obviously, Sweden. Uh, and Chris and Elsa joined us doing a guest round in our last pub quiz. And, did uh, I tell you about uh, the pub quiz that I then did, which was, uh, what are the two languages of Sweden? No. And we'd just done that. Mm. 
Um, my dad got it right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was, of course, one where they bowled you over with their question about ABBA in Brighton. Ah, oh, Rex fact. I mean, that's brilliant, isn't it? Uh, so that was the ABBA's sort of moment launched onto the world stage was at Eurovision, which was at the Brighton Dome. I reckon most people will have taken that away from from <laughs> our quiz more than well, anything else. <laughs> well, I was listening to um, just the other day uh, an, an, a, uh, another podcast which uh, dropped that as a big fact, mm-hmm. which is the Rock on Tours. Another pun, <sighs> pun feeling, yeah. Uh, with Guy Pratt and Gary Kemp. Of Spandau? So Gary Kemp of Spandau, and um, Guy Pratt is the sort of post-Roger Waters Pink Floyd bassist. And everyone else. And, he, yeah, and loads, loads of other stuff, yeah. What has he done? Wasn't he, he was in, mm. um, wasn't he in the House Martins, and then, or, Fat Boy, uh, no. Uh, um, what am I, what, uh, hang on. We think of Paul Heaton. Mm. Beautiful South. Beautiful South. And though, no, he was also in Bindaloo. Bindaloo. Fat Les. Fat Les, not Fat Boy Slim. <laughs> he might not have been, but I think he was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they've done. A, they've got a podcast where they um, just sort of have uh, reminiscences with uh, fellow old rock stars. And the first one was Nick Mason. Because when Nick Mason did his um, thing touring, like the early Floyd years stuff, I've got a su- his uh, signature from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Gary and they were both in the band, Gary Camp. And of course, yeah. They, they, the anyway, so they bass. mentioned because they, they, I think maybe they did it. Did they do Brighton Dome as part of that? Anyway, whatever they mentioned that, and then one of them said, as or dropping as a Rex fact, so they did not say Rex fact, how ABBA had been launched there they did actually say re- didn't they didn't did? actually oh. say that fact um but then they also said that it was at the brighton dome where apparently they did the fir- pink floyd did the first ever performance of eclipse from the dark side of the yeah. room i don't want to explore this any further because although this is um, exactly um tickling the good bit of my brain um <laughs> somehow you flagged up three ways that spandau ballet are, are related to pink floyd <laughs> and Abba, and I just want to keep that sacrosanct and pure. In <laughs> uh, our last mini-series, we had a great chat with Dr. Ellie Woodacre about uh, Joan of Navarre, the Queen Consort Henry IV. And uh, Ellie mentioned that the Royal Studies Network that uh, she's a part of we're soon going to be doing a podcast focusing on uh, the scholarly work, scholarly work that's done as part of that network and putting it out there in podcast format. So uh, nice. that is now out and they've done a couple of episodes, one on Royal Jubilees and another on uh, Margaret of Anjou and Greenwich Palace, uh, both of which should be of interest to Rex Factor fans. Oh, they started now? Yes, they've done a couple. Now, it, it doesn't seem to be widely available on actually any podcast platform. Oh. So I think at the moment you have to go to Buzzsprout to find it. <laughs> so specifically buzzsprout.com forward slash 1934722. No, so I, they've got to make it more accessible like that. Might might be worth sending a message and saying that maybe you might want to put it on, you know, Apple and Spotify and whatnot. Even the name's like a password. Yeah, but it's good. So if you want to check it out, so there'll be yeah. some interesting chats in there, but it's just not very easy to find at the moment. Yeah, it would be brilliant, that. Huh? Uh, and finally, not a podcast, uh, but an artist, Nora Wright, 
who you can find on Etsy, uh, etsy.com forward slash UK forward slash market forward slash Nora underscore right. So that's W-R-I-G-H-D. Uh, Nora is a Rex Factor fan, and uh, one of the artworks you can buy, which he kindly sent to us, is Kings and Queens of Britain print Rex Factor winners. Oh, nice. So these are illustrations oh, of all nice. the Rex Factor winners from the first series, uh, mm. plus uh, current incumbent. Um, and she sent that to us for free, which is very kind, as well as her Amazing Women Who Changed the World print as gift for our daughters, who are then uh, quite newly born. Yeah, lovely. So that was very lovely of Nora. So uh, do head to Nora's Etsy site and you can uh, check out those prints, as well as various yeah. other works. They are rather nice. Previews. Uh, we also want to share some previews of our bonus content with you. So all our monthly patrons uh, get access to the Privy Chamber, which is an episode that we do after each of our main podcast episodes reviewing a monarch or consort. Uh, so we go into more detail on the subject, some extra information for my research that I didn't put in the main episode, as well as some general chat about other stuff, both historical and not historical. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually did two Privy Chamber episodes of Margaret of Anjou, so I'm going to do a clip uh, from that now. So this is a clip from the first Privy Chamber of Margaret, where we discussed her uh, very formidable grandmother, Yolanda of Aragon. Oh, I liked her. Uh, now, we were only able to touch briefly on Margaret of Anjou's uh, Angevin family because her time as queen was so eventful that, well, usually we might spend quite a bit of time doing that where do they come from stuff mm-hmm. with Margaret. We had to kind of quite quickly get to, uh, get to England. Um, but that's a shame because she had very interesting... Uh, relatives, perhaps the most remarkable of these was her paternal grandmother, Yolanda of Aragon. Oh, yeah. These powerful women. Powerful women, yeah. So Yolanda was born in 1384, daughter of uh, King John I of Aragon. Uh, And in 1395, apparently, she was under close consideration as a candidate for becoming the wife of King Richard II of England until King Charles VI of France intervened uh, and offered his daughter, Isabella of Valois, instead. Instead of marrying Richard II of England, she married Louis II of Anjou uh, in 1400. Um, Though apparently she uh, signed a letter of protest against this. She didn't want to marry him. Um, but she was later forced to retract it. Um, but their marriage did seem to actually be quite a, quite a happy one once uh, they'd got over the awkwardness of <laughs> having published a personal opposition to the idea of marrying him. Mm, horrible. Uh, she also claimed the throne of Aragon in her own right when her uncle Martin died without issue in 1410. How, was that met with resistance? Yeah, it was unsuccessfully claimed, but nevertheless, you know, Oh, just the fact that she made the action was yeah. Yeah, she does oh. it, um, and it is a, that's a claim that she passes uh, does pass down uh, to her her son and grandsons. Um, she holds various other claims, as we saw with Margaret's father Rene. He had all these slightly ridiculous claims, um, but Yolanda's priorities were very much focused on France. So when we have in the Hundred Years' War kicking off all over again, Yolanda is a fervent supporter of France against England. Mm. So the woman who could have become the English queen ends up being one of the champions of fighting the English. Wow. What a, what a turnaround. Mm. But yeah, so she's fervent supporter of France against Henry V, and in particular, uh, a fervent supporter of the Dauphin, uh, so the youngest son of uh, the Mad King. Her husband died in 1417, so Yolanda not only had to rule Anjou while her sons uh, were underage, but she also became the actual guardian for the Dauphin. Um, so effectively, right. he, she was his protector, because this is when we have the Treaty of Troyes, where the French king and queen disinherit the Dauphin in favour of Henry V. 
Oh, yeah. So the Dauphin's own parents, the king and queen of France, have kicked him out of the inheritance, the uh, succession. He's not going to be there. It's Yolanda is the one that basically, she is his guardian and protector and champion. Oh, and he does become king. Yes, and in large part, I have to say, thanks uh, thanks to her, without her protection and support, he probably wouldn't have been able to succeed. Um, he literally becomes part of the family when uh, she marries him to her daughter, Marie. So that's Margaret's aunt. Is the Queen of France. Becomes the Queen of France, yeah. Initially, obviously, yeah. he's fighting for the throne. But yes, he does ultimately become the Queen of France. Um, so he marries... Uh, daughter of uh, Yolanda. Um, Yolanda said to have protected him from various plots uh, and refused to uh, give him up to his mother when she wrote to Yolanda demanding her son be sent to her. So Yolanda wrote back, uh, we have not nurtured and cherished this one for you to make him die like his brothers or to go mad like his father or to become English like you. I keep him for my own. Come and take him away if you dare. Bro... <laughs> I'm confused as to whether I'm impressed or, you know, it's also her, his, her son. Mm. But fair to say she's not necessarily been entirely looking out for him as a mother. Yeah. So that's cool. Mm. What a guardian. Uh, besides protecting the Dauphin, she also played an important strategic role in France's ultimate victory in the Hundred Years' War. She helped to persuade uh, Brittany, uh, the Duchy of Brittany, to break its alliance with England, which is a crucial... Uh, turning of the tides. Uh, she was also influential in the appointment of Arthur de Richemont, who was a son of Joan of Navarre by her first marriage, a Brittany man. Uh, he became constable of France in 1425 and was very successful. Uh, and Yolanda also gave uh, early support to Joan of Arc at a time when, uh, understandably, others had doubts about whether a medieval peasant girl who claimed to have had visions mm. from God was uh, actually the person to put in charge of the army. Uh, so after France's victory against England in the Hundred Years' War, um, Yolanda mostly retired to Angers and then Samoa. Um, however, she still had a voice in uh, national affairs and was very much not a woman to be messed with. Um, so when the bishopric of Angers fell vacant, Charles VII, so the former Dauphin, now actual uh, King of France, proposed his own candidate in opposition to Yolanda's choice. Uh, Yolanda told the rival candidate that if he dared show his face in the city, she would have him beheaded. <laughs> she is pretty hard. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, he decided to decline the opportunity and uh, Charles acquiesced in Yolanda's choice. Now, all Privy Councillors get a weekly bonus podcast that we record on a Monday but is actually released on a Tuesday, which we call Tuesday Talks. Uh, so this is intended as a kind of behind-the-scenes podcast where we give an update on what we've been uh, doing in the last week. So for me, that's usually research or editing for the podcast. And for Ali, it's probably something to do with gardening, model-making, coffee carts, or his attempt to claim that he has an aversion to puns whilst also making himself laugh about puns. It's confusing. <laughs> uh, so this is totally off the cuff, unedited, and uh, there is even a video version of it available for Proofy Counselors. Is there a video of this? Uh, technically there is, but not that we share with anybody. Okay. Uh, but we do have all of these stored on Dropbox. They, they are Diana letters, aren't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so as an example from our irreverent uh, Tuesday Talks, here is a clip of Ali talking about toothpaste in a jar from Tuesday Talks 25. Sounds like a uh, rock song. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ah, now I, I don't recall this conversation, but Nikki Paulson again um, says, I've started using jarred natural toothpaste, which feels nice and clean, but I miss the minty freshness. Ali recommended, uh, sorry, Ali mentioned using jarred toothpaste. Does he have any recommendations? And mine is in a glass jar. Is it minty? Oh, it. <laughs> I tell you what, it, I, I bought it. Um, and it's only because I'm stuck in some hideous, like, Amazon subscribe and save trap that I can't seem to get out of whatever I do. So I've got jars and jars of this stuff arriving. I've just had to use it. And I'm really used to it now. But I, I put it down because it was too minty. <laughs> it feels like, you know, that that TCP feeling that, yeah. like, uh, yeah, and. It's called, but it's anyway, it's called Truth. We're not sponsored by these people, but if it means people use less plastic, <laughs> I'll do it. Truth paste. And if we were, they might want you to work on your. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah that's recommendations. Right. <laughs> yeah. Honest. Truth to power. Um, How are we spelling truth paste? Um, like the opposite of false. Paste. Paste. And the one that I'm talking about is the minty botanicals it's but i love it now i can't mm. go back because it feels much much more natural and less like a blended sweetie so what's the is it the same consistency as normal no. toothpaste or mm. no it is a true paste oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> oh it's it's like a it's got more than one meaning it sounds like toothpaste it's a pun. But it's actually <laughs> a pun. <laughs> oh my god, Graham! I need help. <laughs> uh, now, privy councillors get to commission us to do bonus special episodes uh, on a whole variety of topics, which can be accessed either by being a patron at the special episodes tier or by purchasing individual episodes from. Uh, for £2 from payhip.com forward slash Rex Factor Podcast. Uh, and our latest uh, special episode that we've just released is on Horatio Nelson, uh, one of history's most celebrated naval commanders and legendary figure in British history for his victories in the French Revolutionary Wars, uh, most notably at the Nile and Trafalgar, as well as his scandalous relationship with Lady Emma Hamilton. Uh, so this was our longest ever special episode, so that was uh, about two hours, 40 minutes. Well done, us. Um and particularly well done, Ali, because he was incredibly tired at the time. Yeah, I can't believe that was our longest one. Yeah. And that we did that starting at, like, 9 o'clock. Yeah. PM. Yeah, that was madness. Uh, anyway, so here's a clip from the episode where we discuss Nelson's heroic actions in the Battle of Cape St. Vincent. Uh, and the Spanish were unprepared for battle because they hadn't seen the British coming uh, and hadn't seen Nelson, so they were split... Uh, in two groups. So Jarvis ordered his ships to sail between the two Spanish groups and then themselves to split into two uh, separate lines so they could attack both Spanish groups simultaneously. Right, okay. Rather than just, you know, lining up alongside and... Mm, doing the usual drill. Um, so um, it starts pretty well for the British, but as Nelson is moving into his position, he realises that the second Spanish group um, was changing its position and trying to link up and support the first group. So Nelson takes his initiative, 
disregards Jarvis's orders and where he's meant to go and instead wore his ship out of line. So that means he made a dramatic turn to port in a very large arc and then put himself suddenly at the front line for the British, heading straight towards uh, the Spanish flagship, the Santissima Trinidad, which at that time was the largest ship afloat in the world. Wow. So why did he do that? Just to, to draw a battle so that they couldn't team up? Yeah, so he's taking on this second Spanish group before mm. it just becomes one big Spanish yeah. okay. combined group. Um, but as I said, he puts himself in the front line and quickly uh, the captain, his ship is uh, surrounded under intense fire from five or six Spanish ships. Oh, gosh, that would just be... I mean, appalling. Yes. Splintery. Mm. I've got a splinter in my finger right now, and it's pretty much all I can think of. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And the ship is pretty much completely immobilised as well. It's so damaged that they can barely even steer it. So Nelson decides just to drift into the Spanish ship, the San Nicolas, um, and he then, because he's got nothing else he can really do, leads a boarding party. Yeah. So he cries, Westminster Abbey or glorious victory, before jumping on board. <laughs> that is a man who thinks the same way as me. When when <laughs> Westminster Abbey is the opposite of <laughs> glorious victory, <laughs> he'd, he'd managed to get me charging over the side. Yeah. Um, now, it's highly unusual for a boarding party to be led by a British flag officer to the extent that the last occasion it happened was in 1513. Oh, my word. So, so he's... Henry VIII. <laughs> he's got how many years before is that 200 300 300 yeah nearly uh, anyway the San Nicholas quickly surrenders so he's taking the ship unfortunately though at this point um, they've taken the San Nicholas but then they come under fire from another ship the San Joseph which is entangled in the rigging of the San Nicholas mm-hmm. oh so he's got two for the price of well, one here indeed so Nelson orders a boarding party onto the second ship using the first one that's yep. the means so yeah, this is, come on lads copy and paste <laughs> uh, this is a manoeuvre he describes as Nelson's patent bridge for boarding first rates oh, patent bridge for boarding so he's pretending he's invented it as a, yeah. yeah a little, oh, little nice. joke nice. Uh, in the heat of the moment is that true he said that uh, I'm not sure it was in the heat of the moment I think that was more at the uh, dinner party anecdotes later on okay but if you want that to be his sort of Sean Connery, yeah. I think he got the point moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but as Nelson describes, second ship surrenders as well. At this moment, a Spanish officer looked over the quarter deck rail and said they surrendered. From this most welcome intelligence, it was not long before I was on the quarter deck, where, extravagant as the story may seem, did I receive the swords of vanquished Spaniards. Which, as I received, I gave to William Farney, one of my bardmen, who put them with the greatest sangfroid under his arm. Mm. Okay, so a proper sword handing over job. Mm. What's everyone else doing at this point? Oh, firing, shooting and firing cannons and engaging with the other lot. But nevertheless, he's captured not one but two Spanish ships, so it's an unprecedented Mm. uh, Mm. achievement. Uh, And more importantly, the the, uh, battle is an outstanding victory for the British in which four Spanish uh, ships of the line are captured, uh, two of them obviously by Nelson. So for the first time ever, Nelson is headline news uh, and his heroics capture the British public imagination. Nice. 
So uh, Jarvis is made the Earl of St. Vincent, because mm-hmm. it's the Battle of Cape of St. Vincent, uh, whilst Nelson becomes a Knight of the Bath, um, and also is promoted to Rear Admiral, but as we said, that's just because of where he's on the list. It's a bit of a coincidence. The Privy Council. So, to get access to all of this lovely bonus content, you need to go to patreon.com forward slash RexFactor and sign up to be a Privy Councillor. Um, we've been increasing our output recently, so this is the full extent of everything you get. We've got three tiers, Privy Chamber, Special Episodes, and Star Chamber. At Privy Chamber level, you get the Privy Chamber podcast that we mentioned with each main review episode, Tuesday Talks every week, Rexflix, where we review monarch-based films on historical accuracy and entertainment, pub quizzes and uh, Q&A sessions for which we do live streams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the Discord. Oh yes, and we have a, uh, a Discord uh, server, is that what we call it? Yeah. A chat thing, which uh, you get as part of your uh, Privy Councillor status, so that's um, ability to well, potentially re- chat to us if we reply, but also just general chat between Rexfet listeners. I think it needs more explaining because I have no idea. I had no idea what it was. And it's really, it's like a, really sort good. Of chat, chat forum, basically. Isn't it, it is. It's a 90s chat room. <clears throat> you can do a lot more with it than that, but we are currently just using it as a 90s <laughs> chat room. Oh, really? Well, you can stream games and all sorts of things on there. That's how this started. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I mean, it's even us just looking around the foyer going, <laughs> this, this is a wonderful hotel, where shall I set up my bed? Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to explore it further. Um, then we have the special episodes tier where you get all of that, plus free access to our bonus special episodes, um, plus a special episodes extra podcast, which is kind of like a privy chamber for the special episode, so <laughs> extra research that didn't make it into the main one. Yeah. Um, also, the Local Legends podcast, where we look at a personal place that's local to a Star Chamber member, so something a bit shorter and more accessible in length than a uh, special episode. Mm-hmm. When are we doing again, next one of those? Uh, well, so we've recorded three, four, and five and five isn't coming out until September, so we are kind of well. <laughs> we are legends, aren't we? To, well ahead there. To a fault. <laughs> uh, and then finally, the top level is the Star Chamber, where you get to help shape our content. So uh, Star Chamber members get to vote for what special episodes and local legends podcasts we do, um, as well as having a Star Chamber podcast where you can watch us record uh, that episode live, and we go through all the options um, and the results from previous votes. Good. Which one so am lots I? Of, uh, I think you're just Privy Councillor, Privy Chamber, the bottom one. Yeah. Because when I tried to add you, or when you should, when I tried to get you to sign up for the uh, Star Chamber podcast, it wouldn't let you in because you weren't <laughs> high enough membership level. Yeah, you had to invite me to the, uh, yeah. to the live stream. It's all right, he's with me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who I am? <laughs> you can't. Find me screaming at a computer. Uh, so lots of lovely bonus content out there. So and over well over a hundred episodes of bonus stuff now. Really, gosh. Uh, so if you'd like to hear more of that, then sign up at patreon.com forward slash Rex Factor, and uh, we have various new privy councillors to welcome to the fold today. Becky Way, Mark Allen, Ed Cooper, Karen Castle, Centuries of Sound, Janelle Vickery. Kelly Duggan, Monica Donovan, 
Anne Moores, Nathan Swap, Richard Sowerby, Quinn Campania, Aaron Gullison, Sarah Stanford, Sandra Frank, Jordan Retz, Constance Gaston, Kelly Gray, Kat Connor, Catherine Smilland, Harrison Scott, Colin Howell, Suzanne Stockton, Jay Anderson, and Billy Foster. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Thank you, one and all. You genuinely make this possible. The centuries of sound. Yes, we talked about that. It's good, it's the thing. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, where he sort of takes a year you know, from recorded sound and then has done this great big mix. Oh, it was you that told yeah. me about it. Was yeah. It? Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I can recommend that. Uh, now, in the Podbean era, we offered the bonus of a comment read out on the podcast. We don't do that anymore for Patreon because we just end up with too many, too many mm. people, mm. too many messages. But we are sticklers to uh, our commitment, so we are still honouring that for those on Podbean. So here are some messages from very much not new privy councillors. First up, Mark Allen Donaldson. Uh, Hi, A Money and G Man. I've put off becoming a privy councillor for a while. As a Uh PhD candidate in medieval Arthurian literature, I took slight offence to Ali sighing whenever there was mention of scholars or the medieval period or after. (laughs) But I had to admit I sigh all those things too, so it was time to join the council. As points of order, Athelstan is great, Dunstan is terrible, Edgar the Who, and by the holy face of Luca, thanks for a wonderful and hilarious podcast. Sit up here on my right hand... You you think correctly. <laughs> uh, short and sweet from Becky Love Curly. Thanks for all the hours of laughs and learning. Oh, that's nice. Thanks, man. Uh, now, somewhat dating when these originally came in, a couple of lockdown-themed messages. Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, first, Will Tell. Podcasts have been getting me and my partner through lockdown. Love it, and thank you both. It's nice to think of people listening to us during lockdown, isn't it? Yeah, I feel bad that after we did a few, like we did the Normans mostly in lockdown apart from the first one, Matilda Flanders. But then that's when my partner stopped being on maternity leave and I had to share children and then we didn't do any episodes for ages. I think, oh, it's a shame that we weren't able to do more episodes during lockdown. Yeah, Graham, it's like the world had was coming to an end. Yeah. We couldn't... Like us, yeah, no way. Anyway, Ashton Adams also said, I just found Rex Factor and it's become the soundtrack to Quarantine Season 3. Justice for Empress Matilda. What, she didn't get it? Well, we didn't do an episode on her. A special episode we've done, but she wasn't included in the original series as a monarch. Uh, and finally, Grace Ford. Hi, Ali and Graham. Thank you for the hours of enjoyment you've provided as I worked my way through all of the episodes, a few of them two or three times over. I finally converted my partner to the Rex Factor cause, so I thought it was time I joined the Privy Chamber. Thanks for all the fishy angels and killjoy monks. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it, what we, what we chat about on this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, that must be so up your street, thinking back now, Kenneth McAlpin and his um, fishy, fishy angel wings. No, I just he's hanging around with the wrong people if they think that's a fish. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's all from us today. Our next episode will be the first of the Yorkist consorts where we will uh, review Elizabeth Woodville, which I know is one a lot of people are looking forward to. Research has started, um, although we do have a bank holiday coming up again next week, so these mm. that will delay things a little bit. But research has started, so hopefully not too long until we're able to uh, get back into them. But until then, it's goodbye from us. Cheerio!